This podcast is sponsored by CDO Group, the industry leader providing a full range of construction and project management services. CDO Group has managed thousands of projects in all 50 states. Their group of experts provide systems, processes, and procedures to make sure that your projects turn over on time and on budget every single time. With over 24 years of experience, CDO Group is the industry's leader in construction management and general contracting services. To find them, go to cdogroup.com. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development podcast. My name's Anthony Montategi, and I'm here to inspire people to find amazing careers in the construction development world. If you like our podcast, please make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really like our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Hi, and welcome to the Future of Development Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montategi. Today, I am joined by the world's leading expert on concrete, Alex Hall. He's from Concrete AI. Him and his team over there are doing amazing things with new concrete mixes and designs using artificial intelligence. With that, would you guys give me a big warm welcome for Alex? Welcome to the show. Excited about having you on. It's a a pleasure. Our pre-show talk was a lot of fun, and uh, I think the podcast will go the same way. So excited to have you on the show. Thanks, Anthony. I'm so I'm super excited to be here. I really enjoyed it, and uh, yeah, let's uh, let's get going. You know, as as we get into it, you know, we're really gonna get into it. one of the, my favorite parts of the pre-show was I learned more about concrete and cement than I had ever known. Right? I never knew no more, more. I found out more about cement than I could ever imagine, and it was really just such a great lesson. Before we get into all the details of that, uh, tell me, how did you get into concrete? Where did when you were a little boy, you were like, "Mom and Dad, I want to be I want to be the world's expert on uh, on, on cement." Uh, no, it's got a good, good question. Um, my, my dad was, my dad was, uh, in, in real estate, uh, and he did uh, a bit of property development. So, so at university, basically I, I decided the thing I really wanted to do was construction. So I got into construction management and, um, I, I did a university in South Africa and then you're coming out of it. now. you got to find a job transition into it. And, um, as things happen in, in Africa, you, you don't exactly have your choice or whatever job you want to get, right? So ended up working for a, a pretty large construction company, did like a short internship there. Uh, and then literally ended up in the bush, like working in places that are really remote and, and building not the most exotic things. I, I actually, the one place I ended up uh, adding an extension onto a sewage farm, I was working for the civil engineering company. and. Uh, yeah, as a, not exactly a job I was overly excited about. Um, you know, early twenties, you you uh, also a long way away from the cities. Um, I, I ended up in in Botswana at one point in time as well, um, and yeah, basically decided, look, this is uh, this construction's a lot of fun, but I actually like being close to the people. So, what's construction related that that you know I can get into? Uh, so, long story short, ended up applying for a job with a with a ready mix company. Um, I had some family association with the organization and yeah, one thing led to another and I joined a company in South Africa that is part of a Swiss company called Holson. Uh, yeah, and Holson ultimately is the, it's the largest cement company in the world. Uh, spent uh, eight years with them in South Africa, ended up running their East Coast operations, which was uh, aggregate uh, mining uh, and ready mix. So kind of a vertically integrated operation. And then, um, Holson bought a company in the US called Agrid Industries, ready to support the vertical integration of the business. So it's really an Agrid and ReadyMix company. Holson's the cement company. They sell the cement to the, the, the ReadyMix producer. Uh, they hadn't had much experience. So uh, what ended up as a, a couple of us got transferred from different parts of the world, a couple of guys from Australia, uh, myself from South Africa. I ended up working in the Midwest, uh, went through various uh, roles there for, for Holson. And then my final role with Holson was as the head of ReadyMix Performance based out of Chicago. So I had the opportunity to go to all ReadyMix plants, little over 200 at that stage, producing just around 7 million cubic yards a year. So uh, all Holson plants? Yes, yes. Wow, just so that's, that's a massive operation. Oh, yeah. So, so Holson is the biggest uh, cement producer in the US. They have about uh, probably about 16% of the market share. Wow. So there's roughly, think about it, there's, there's, 110 million tons produced in the US. They got about 16% of that. It's still pretty fragmented for a for an industry like that. It's super capital intensive. Cement plant takes a long time to plan, a lot of permitting, a lot of stuff to get done there. And, and you know, the last plant that I'm familiar with that was built in the US cost a little over 
one and a half billion dollars and and the permitting process and construction was more than a decade got it so so when when wholesome's looking at a site when we're, lo- we're looking at creating uh, a plant right now the, the, the this i think this is a good time to talk a little bit about what ma- what makes a cement you know how do we make cement right so um I think this to me was really, really interesting. I had been in construction my, my I've been in construction my whole life, and the difference between cement and concrete I wasn't that clear on, right? And I would no. I, oftentimes I'd mumble that out there, yeah, that's concrete or cement, and, and not knowing, you know, one, uh, not really knowing, you know, what what that was. So I got uh, when you sat down with me and really starts to talk about the difference. Let's let's take the audience through that. Let's take a little bit through, uh, you know, so wholesome has plants now they 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 mine the material what is the material they're mining so so what they effectively are mining is is limestone what you got to remember though is that when they're mining they're also thinking about the chemistry of all the products that have to go together uh at, at the end of the day what they're doing is mining limestone taking it through a process effectively then driving off the co2 and then ending up with this calcium oxide product which is which is fundamentally the output which is clinker they then mull and grind this down, add a few other things to it. And then it becomes this powder that is cement. So cement, cement is a, effectively a binder. It's, a, it's a, a substance that allows things to set within the paste that's created. Uh, it's a, there's two types of cement. By far and away, the most common is a hydraulic cement. And a hydraulic cement is one that reacts with water. And so this product then becomes an adhesive and this paste then allows the the, the either the sand or the small rocks that you find in a product like mortar or when you start adding bigger stones that then becomes concrete so cement is this really incredible binder that pulls all these products together so if i'm saying it correctly cement is in all concrete correct and correct and concrete is is essentially cement and then some sort of uh, uh, material, you know, which, depending on, on the mix type, uh, the size of stone or, or some sort of a, a material that, that, that the cement is binding together. Absolutely. And uh, just, just also contextually, what, what a lot of people don't appreciate is that after water, concrete is the most consumed product on the planet every year. Wow. The most consumed product. So just after water. Wow, that's that's amazing. So, so uh, on top of all food, all steel, mm-hmm. concrete is the well, now it's just because it's such an easy uh, material to work with, and it's such a low cost material. Uh, you know, yeah. a- across the world, they're they're using it now. Now, when you were building those plants out in the middle of nowhere, it wasn't me. The crews that are building it, they're out there in the middle of nowhere. Essentially, what are they doing? They're bringing cement out there and finding the aggregate that's out there? Well, so it depends what the context is, right? So you're talking about when they're building the plant or, yeah. or, or what do you mean? Yeah, when they're building a plant. Yeah, so when they, when they look, what they're doing is ultimately they, they're looking for a, a limestone deposit. So ultimately that then becomes a quarry. Uh, typically, you, you know, you're looking at at least, you know, 80 to 100 years worth of life of, of that quarry. So you need a really big deposit. And then you add a whole lot of different structures. So you got to take that rock, you, you got to crush it down first. So, so you've got a series of crushing agents uh, that take the rock down and, and get it smaller and smaller. And then they, they really homogenize it as well, get it as consistent as possible from a size perspective. And then they go through a grinding process as well. Uh, and, and basically they take this rock down to think of it like a talcum powder kind of consistency. Uh, that goes through a, a, a initial heating separation. It's where some of the calcination actually takes place. So this goes through a, a, a vertical preheater and then goes all the way down into a, a long uh, tubular pipe called a, a kiln. And this kiln is, is super hot anywhere from you know, 2,700 to sometimes north of 3,500 uh, Fahrenheit. And this is where the rock changes. It's, it's it, obviously the physical properties go from the, being this, uh, this uh, solid substance and, and effectively turns into a lava. Uh, it's kind of an interesting point in the conversation this because at, at this point, the chemical reaction is such that um, you go from CaCO3 and it the the actual physical the the heat ends up having a, a impact on the chemistry and it breaks down the bonds and you end up with CaO 
which ultimately then becomes this product clinker. Of course, there are other chemicals and minerals that are part of this as well. But this is where it separates from the carbon dioxide. So the carbon gets driven off at this point. So, and, so, so it gets heated up so hot that yeah. now it melts to a form. And in that, in that process, all the CO2 gets driven out. That's correct. Now, are, 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 are they mixing in other products at this point or is it, does it become, are they looking for pure? It, it all depends. I always mining for chemistry, right? So, so, so also at the end of the day, the, in, in the preheating and the crushing process, all different uh, elements are getting added. But, but fundamentally, it's still the essential reaction that is the most important is the CaCO3 changing to the CaO minus the CO2. And it's, it's really interesting because not, not a lot of people appreciate this, but, but you know, if, if the cement industry were a company, a country, a bigger pardon, it would be the third biggest emitter of CO2 on the planet after the United States and China. So, so that's already, you know, this industry generates, you know, conservatively probably around 7% of the CO2 that's generated on the planet every year. Around half of it comes from this actual reaction where the CO2 gets driven off. Now, is it the, is it the part that's driven off that's the, that's the impact or is it the, what it takes to heat it up? It, it's it, both. It, so, it's, so it's both. Both sides of that. So it takes a lot of energy to heat it up. Right. And that's fire or, or you know, I've, I've heard of a whole bunch of different formats for how they're heating it up. Recycled materials, you know, recycled trash. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, things they're using to, to heat that up. You know, as, as as bad as I'm making things sound, the reality is that this industry has been really at the cutting edge of trying to figure out how to okay. reduce energy costs and, and get utilization as, as efficient as it can. Yeah, so all sorts of things. Basically, anything that's got a calorific value is considered for fuel. But but primarily, you know, you're still looking at oils and gases and, and, and you know, natural gas in many cases as well. But hugely, hugely energy intensive as well. And, and again, a source of a lot of CO2 emissions. So let me just get this. So, so as it's, it's driven through this pipe, is that on a conveyor belt? Is that on a, uh, how, how does it get driven through this pipe? Well, the, the pipe is rotating as well. Okay. And, and the way they kind of set things up is, you know, you, you can imagine in, in some instances is there's, there's the appropriate gradient to get it moving in the right direction. But yeah, you, you end up basically having a flow of lava coming out at the end of this thing, a, a red river, yeah. The red river, okay, that's the red river I'm hearing about. So so you're heating up this pipe and it's it's it starts to melt as it goes through this this mixing, pro, this spinning process. It comes well, actually, they're actually way smarter than that because what the guys are actually doing is in, in the pre-calciner, so, so before it even gets into the pipe, it's, it's already really hot, north of a thousand degrees Celsius while this actual hot material is hot, well, it's not hot, while the raw material, the actual feedstock is being dropped in from the top and going through all these different layers on the way down, they're already trying to capture the heat that's been generated from the kiln and not lose it. So they actually start the heating process way earlier. Gee, so, so they're using the heat that comes off of this to start preheating this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's pretty energy efficient. We, we try to do that in buildings. Uh, For sure. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, they, they, look, I mean, and they've been thinking about this for you know decades no i mean that's and the amount of energy that it takes to heat this up any any one degree of, of change has got to affect that greatly right i mean just having that preheat happen as it goes in there it's got to speed this whole process up dramatically yeah absolutely so you can imagine even if you've got some of the raw feed the, the any any of the material going in that is slightly wet all of a sudden you've got to dry that water off so it's even more energy to get the heat up right so so yeah, absolutely. So super, super um, focused on temperature control, regulation of the material going in, making sure that whatever's blended with it pre uh, the feed material is is at you know is at appropriate levels of dryness, etc. It's 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 a it is a very uh, you know kind of focus driven process, and, and from a from a production perspective, it is uh, highly mechanized as well. In, in, in the U.S., in the U.S., in other parts of the world, it's a lot more labor intensive. Uh, you know, the, the biggest quarry in the U.S. Uh, is one. I mean, biggest biggest uh, cement production plant in the U.S. is one called Saint Genevieve, which is just south of um, St. Louis, about forty miles. Uh, you know, they'll produce roughly. I'm, I'm guessing. I wouldn't know the exact numbers today, but I would guess in the region of four million tons of clinker a year. 
Four uh, million tons. Let's just try to comprehend that. Four million tons. And wow. then, now, now let's go back. Clinker. So I, I'm going to finish that so people really yeah. get to understand, like I, I got to do the other day with you. So uh, four million tons of clinker. Now clinker, let's, let's go all the way through the process. It's heated up through the tube, comes out the Red River. Now, wow. before it starts to cool again, what's going on? What's going on here? So there's kind of a quick cooling process that takes place almost immediately after it's come out of the come out of the kiln and, and you know, they, they basically direct cool it with air and what you end up with is these are balls but pretty round balls gray ones and and they look like like a marble like a pretty big marble is about the size of these things come out um yeah and and and, and this is kind of the the the, pro, the 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 clinker product that has now come out of the kiln, gone through the cooling process, and now it actually goes into further grinding. and And this is the point at which you know cement companies have been really good about looking for products that can assist uh, the the um, the cement um, in becoming more reactive. So this is another phase that goes on where additional products, be it slagment or things like fly ash actually get added into the powder and then ground up further and then sold out to the market. So it, it becomes even less intensive from a, an energy perspective because some of these waste products are, are being added in. So from a per ton basis, basis uh, it's, it, there's, there's already some environmental benefit to adding these waste products. So let's talk about what, what do you mean by waste products? So you're taking, is, <clears throat> when you say ash, is it like ash from, from a industrial process? They're yeah. taking and they're mixing. They're actually mixing it in with the clinker and then grinding it, and it it would now it supports the the, uh, the 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 amalgamation of this of this of the product. Well, so they so so look. That's let's talk. A fly ash is a pretty easy one. So so yeah. fly ash is effectively the residue you get from burning coal in a fire in a, in a power station, right? So not as much as we used to have, but there still is quite a lot of it left, right? And this product is kind of like cement uh, in, in, in that it also can form a paste, but unlike cement, it doesn't react with water. So this is what's known as a pozzolan. And, and actually, this is the kind of product that the ancient Romans used to mix together with lime. And that's what Roman concrete is effectively. This very similar thing like volcanic ash that they used, and they'd mix it up. The, the, the difference being here that one of the byproducts of uh, the cement reaction. So when, when you when you have the cement powder and you add water to it, uh, it's it's an it's a reaction that gives off heat, exothermic reaction. But the other thing it does is it gives off a gas, and the gas that it gives off is called calcium hydroxide (CaOH). Calcium hydroxide actually reacts with the pozzolan, which in this case is fly ash and allows that to become a binder. So it, this is where the additional benefit comes in. So, so you're actually using this waste product and substituting some of the cement with the waste and, and then allowing this waste to react as a function of the cement reacting with water. Got it. So, so instead of having to go through and it's essentially taking some of this very intensive limestone that goes through this whole process it's taking a percentage of that out and replacing it with a byproduct from a from a plant or someplace, and they're using that uh, to, to that. What does that do? Just it brings on the cost and the amount of energy that it takes to make the product. Yeah, I mean, typically it's it's definitely more of an energy focus, and, it's, and you know these materials become scarcer. It's an opportunity again to reduce the footprint, right? And and the, look the the. The reality is it's not even a byproduct, it's a waste product. Like, you know, this stuff gets dumped. There are hundreds of, I don't know, hundreds, but there are definitely millions of tons of this stuff that are lying in, in slums, dams all over this country, all over the world. So, you know, where, where people have found a way to actually use this and, and process this waste a little bit, there's actually huge value in, in being able to do something with it. Well, let's talk about this. As you add in uh, these products, does it change the strength of the uh, cement or the uh, by, or the concrete when it's done is do these products change it or, or uh, how does it affect the overall strength of it again this is all about design you you can think about the concrete right so all these different constituents that you've put together to have the end product yep. 
typically what people are, are really interested in, in when it comes to concrete is what is the compressive strength at 28 days? So, you know, in, in construction, you, you've probably seen guys when, you know, they're looking at a typical floor slab that's going to have minimal traffic. They wanted to get to 4,000 PSI at 28 days. So whenever anyone orders a, a concrete, they're going to specify that strength typically in the most cases. And then with that strength is that actual strength that that concrete is going to achieve at 28 days. And, and that is really determined by, at the end of the day, they, to, to validate that, they'll get a sample take a cylinder of the sample and then you see them they go to a concrete uh, testing station and then do destructive testing and validate that that thing fails at 4000 psi so so this is this is all a folk a function of the design of the concrete and and in this case you know with with a product like fly ash i mean it, it stands to reason that because the fly ash is waiting for this gas to be given off from the cement and water reaction that there's definitely a delay in the initial setting time. There's no question about that. But with the optimum amount of time, and, and typically you won't see more than 30% of the mass of cement substituted with fly ash, you can still get pretty close and then actually see a, a strength gain in the, in the development curve with using a product like that. And then the other benefits as well, the, the, you know, the fly ash is kind of a, when you get down in the microscopic level, it's, it's, it's really kind of a, rounded and well shaped so it actually allows the concrete in some instances to become a little bit more workable uh, and then the other good thing about one really good property about it is that because you're using less cement there's less of this exothermic reaction and therefore less heat giving off and and so you'll find like especially with big decks and big pores like that a lot of guys actually prefer it because there's not as much heat and then they don't have to pay well they still pay a lot of attention but they, there's a lot of risk with setting and cracking and, and you know, that kind of compensation well i mean the science behind these mixtures are you know it's, it's dramatically you know different we really start to learn and figure out you know the different mixture types you know the, the strength the dry times you know I'm, I'm over here in chicago they're putting high rises up faster than i've ever seen them they're now you know popping floors up a week and it's dramatically different than they were doing, you know, uh, 15 years ago. Now you're, you're, the speed by which they're they're putting these up are blowing me away. Well, yeah, and again, it all it's all about design, right? Like, and, and, and it's crazy because every city is different. Um, after I left, um, after I left Wholesome, I joined a construction company for called Suffolk. I was with them for four years. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really incredible to see the different kind of construction methods from city to city. Like in New York, they're not doing a story a week. They're flipping every three days, man. Yeah, that's sure, sure. fine, right? So again, and, and that has to be a function of how quickly that concrete is able to get to whatever strength they're looking for. So they, they're probably looking to get to at least 4,500 PSI in three days. So yeah, very different kind of ratio uh, in terms of the constituents of concrete. They probably have a lot more um, cement in those, in those mixes as well and then have uh, admixtures or, or chemicals that allow them to actually accelerate the setting time. I, I hear that a lot. Uh, the guys that work on those, uh, you know, some of the complaints they have with some of those mixtures that are really, really, I, you know, they, they call them really hot packages and they, uh, you know, some of the, some of the burns and some of the stuff that they get from them because there's lots and lots of chemicals put in these, in these to make them cure that fast. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I mean, you know, again, this is, this is, always going to be one of the challenges right everyone kind of thinks concrete's just this gray amorphous mass that sits in line i mean if you got a, any of the you know there, there's probably 5500 operating plants in the us that actually manufacture concrete um and you have a look at their get into their batch panels i mean i've not been to a plant with a batch panel that's got less than you know two three hundred mixed designs of a really quiet plant yeah i mean they've been there for four or five years but you know, some of these really busy plants that are doing three, 400,000 cubic yards have you know, got many hundreds, sometimes thousands of different mix designs that they have in their systems. And they have to batch these cake mixes together to get to this exact product. And, and you gotta remember, it's not just the strength, right? Guys that work the concrete, because you know, con concrete, listen, everyone in this place is is, is a concrete nerd, right? We, we, we love the product, it's like- You know a lot about concrete. <laughs> no, but, but it, but tell me something, what, what, what product do you know, right? That's got like a three hour shelf life. And after that is in a permanent physical state that that's going to be like that as long as you want it to be, you know, unless there's something crazy happening that the rebar is spoiling or there's, 
you know, a serious earthquake. This stuff is around forever. So it's, it's, it's an amazing product. Uh, there, well, there's, let me ask you, so this is a question that's been linked in my mind since. Do, do some of these additives change the shelf life of the product? I mean, yeah. you know, so, you know, am I going to see uh, in Chicago, you know, some of these drying agents, I, one of the questions, are any of these leaching out later on? Is there an environmental long-term impact on these? Have, have we gotten that far to see that yet? No, I, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I, I don't think that's the case at all. And, and what you got to remember is, is in most cases, concrete is pretty well contained. Guys don't want to wasting, they don't want to falling over the places. So whether you're pouring a, you know, a deck, the whole thing's in a pan and, uh, you know, that's going anyway. Same, same thing, you know, with a trench. I mean, you know, yes, you've got an exposed surface, but you know, highly unlikely that any anything is that volatile that's that's really leaking out into that, that, that you know, gets out into nature. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's the one thing about concrete is that that their reaction is always happening you know no matter how the, the, there's some of the roman concrete today that's actually you know at a at a nano level still getting stronger because those reactions are still happening within it well and i think that's something really to, to talk about you know it is the number one building product in the world right everywhere you go if, if i was i was just in africa a little while ago and you know, a little bit primitive, they're building blocks. They're actually making blocks on the job site where, you know, there's one team that over here making blocks and another team that are, that are you know, it, it's, you know, they don't, they don't have the capacity to bring them in. They're making them. And, uh, uh, but it's all made with, with, you know, a mix, right? They've all got a mix that they use. And around the world, it's, it's the most inexpensive building product we have available with it, with what it delivers for us on a, on a quality basis, right? You know, products that are built, the homes that are built, the, the buildings that are built with cement or block buildings, you know, for sure are the, are, you know, look, we put them in hurricane areas. We put them in, in cold, 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 extremely cold areas. You know, the, the qualities of a cement building uh, are, are dramatically uh, uh, effective. And that's why we I, know, I know you mean concrete, right? I, I'm sorry. Concrete, that's right. Here, I just here, I just did that again. I, I here, thank you very much. I will walk out of here just reminding. That, so the concrete buildings. Uh, so, so how how much? Here, let me just get that right. Are there mixes where they're cement only with no aggregate, or is cement alone not enough to bind? Is it's not strong enough to bind itself? Yeah. Economically as well, it really would make sense, right? Because you got to you got to remember that you know cement. Let's just use a round number like probably X plants in the region of 120, 130, maybe 150 bucks a ton. Um, and, and so just using that on its own uh, wouldn't make a lot of sense because just from a pure economic perspective, it, it'd be a lot tougher to control. The set times would be a lot shorter, <clears throat> but also where this is where the benefit comes in of having uh, products like aggregate and sand, because it actually allows you to change the, the mixed dimensions in such a way you can get a far greater volume and way more bang for your buck by mixing these other cheaper products in and, and therefore extending the value of the cement over a over volume. Well, in every one of the plants that are out there, my guess is that the material that comes out of the ground has some different qualities, right? They can't, the moisture content, uh, uh, there's got to be different qualities to it. So it, there's got to be a, quite a bit of science between to getting it all to a measurable point where, hey, I want to get this to be, you know, 4,000 PSI at 25 days or, or you know, whatever that science is that we, we need to measure for. Yeah, absolutely. So so you got to remember all these things are raw materials, right? Other than the, you know, other than the cements and the chemicals that are that are very much heavily processed uh, from, a, from a, a chemical, but through an entire manufacturing process, the, the two products that are make up by far and away the most volume in, in concrete is sand and, and stone. Okay. And so the coarse aggregates typically anywhere from like, you know, half inch, maybe, you know, a little smaller than that three eighths, but then all the way up to an inch, sometimes an inch and a half is, is kind of very where things max out. Um, in, you know, if you're going to pump, you never want to go like more than, a quarter of the dimension of of the pipe and, and average pipes typically you know six inches so and then when you get into the really flexible stuff it gets smaller so, so you don't you can't take the aggregate size up too much but the aggregates are by far and away the biggest uh proportion of the mix and uh yes especially when it comes to the sand huge influence when when you know some sand comes in and it's got you know, 5% of that sand is water, right? That's just the reality of it. You, no one no one takes sand through a kiln to dry it before they send it out. Uh, you know, th these guys are making a little bit of money by shipping a, 
water every time the thing goes over the scale. But anyway, the, the, the fun part about all of this is that at the plant, it's actually the batch plant operator's requirement that on a, a at least twice a day is it's at least meant to happen, but but in other t- ways this is actually auto- automated, that they actually input the information into the batching system that tells them how much more moisture is actually present in those aggregates. And they actually, they some of the better plants nowadays have, have got, the, these things have become better as well, but they have these things called moisture probes that actually stick into the bins that are holding the sand and in some cases the aggregate as well and actually give you a live reading of the moisture and that actually then adjusts the mix design as well so it actually withdraws some water out of the mix design because it's not coming in with the sand or the smaller aggregates you know so it's sophisticated yeah yeah i know it's 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 amazing how sophisticated that gets you know now um we were getting into these plants right and um you know trying to figure out where are all of the uh plants in the united states and why why they're all spread out why isn't there just a couple major plants why are they all spread out so, so I think, you, you know, the, the answer to that is that if you have a look at the raw materials, number one, the stuff that goes into concrete, you know, cement and the admixtures are, are the most expensive products, but the, the, like I said, the sand and stone are the, are the highest volume. Um, but really to, to, to be, you know, in a, in a position where your business is going to be real profitable, you don't want to be transporting this stuff too far. So what you find is that, um, they try and have the plants as close to urban centers where the volume is going to be so that they can truck the, the aggregates and the cement in, you know, hopefully not too far from, from their source because any, any transport is like heavily uh, diluted from a margin perspective for, for aggregates in particular, as well as cement. Um, but the other reality is that when you, when you're moving concrete around a, you've got like probably realistically a three hour shelf life. So you can't afford to be too far away from wherever you're delivering the stuff to. And then the other thing is, you know, transporting water is kind of expensive. There's a lot of water in the back of that drone, right? So, so you really want to optimize your, your distribution zone. You know, the guys talk about a zone of advantage. They, they obviously want to try and keep plants away from each other because as soon as you start crossing over, then you know, it just adds more competition. But like I said, 55, probably between 55 and 6,000 operating plants in the US. Vast majority are concentrated um, around the urban areas um, uh, from a volume perspective, uh, but you get a real mix of you know volumes going through these things. There, there's some plants that standalone single plant in some cases have 350, almost 400,000 yards going through them. Uh, and then a couple of rural batch plants that are out there that maybe do a couple of thousand yards a year. So a huge swing in variation, but really heavy focus on the mega plants in in the big big urban areas uh, houston dallas texas is crazy for concrete it's a concrete state a lot of concrete paving that goes on there i mean first of all there's a there's a a, a shopping center on every corner so that you know you you are not going to stop an amount of territory it is to cover with 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 concrete is uh there's a lot to cover and they are trying to cover every inch of it uh quickly there's construction projects going on in every corner in texas it blows me away i was just down there and at just at every single corner i look on there's cranes and things and happening uh everywhere you go it's it's uh growing pretty fast it's pretty amazing so how did you guys come into uh, concrete ai talk to me about that so look i get that you're the master of concrete, I, a master of yeah. cement and concrete. I, I get that, and you've I, look. I, it impresses me with the knowledge you have about all these mixes in the chemical process. Now, talk talk to me about a uh, concrete AI. I, I think this is a fascinating one for for everybody to get is where you've taken uh, this this product that we all use, and now you're really mixing uh, artificial intelligence and gathering all this data to come out to much smarter, smarter mixes, and uh, you know supporting the community that way. Yeah, so so it's actually a uh, so number one, I'm not the wizard. The, the the guys that work at this place, the the, the two guys that founded this company, um, they scare me with their knowledge of uh, concrete and material science and AI. It's uh, it's uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's scary being around people like this. You, you kind of feel insecure, quite frankly. But anyway, I, I hear I, I you do that to me. I'm like the amount of knowledge you know about about the product it blew blew me away, and then. You're saying those guys are trumping you even more, so that's that'd be interesting. Yeah. So look, so this actually for me, this was a fascinating journey. Um, 
when I still, uh, so Holson bought their biggest competitor called Lafarge, a big cement company. And in the US, they're known as Lafarge Holson. Um, I, uh, so this all went down in uh, 2015, 2016. And uh, uh, I was discussing a few things with, with my boss at the time. I said, you know, the one thing that you, know, you look out there, some potentially disruptive technologies that, that we need to be aware of, you know, obviously, you know, I mentioned that you have these hydraulic and these these non-hydraulic cements. The, the non-hydraulic ones are the ones that actually react with uh, CO2. So they actually sequester CO2. Um, anyway, he, he and I got talking and um, you know, I, I said, look, the, the, there's something I've just seen recently out at UCLA and there's this, uh, there's this pr- professor that's invented this product and, and I think we should have a look at it. Just, you know, he, he was the CEO of the, this guy was the CEO of the Agnew Ready Mix business, but I think he also saw some potential opportunity for where this product go, at, at, you know, impact the entire business. So he said, yeah, go, go check it out. You know, I came out, I came out to UCLA and I, I met this really interesting um, professor. His name's Gaurav Sant, and uh, he he developed the he he together with his team had, had developed this product. It was called CO two upcycling, and it was it was a weird thing. I was like, he was holding. I remember this picture. He was holding what looked like a filter, but it was a three D printed filter made of concrete. But the big thing about it was instead of actually emitting this, this material was absorbing CO2. So it was actually drawing, they'd used waste CO2 uh, and then ended up effectively pumping it into the cylinder. And the cylinder was mineralizing using CO2. I mean, I thought this is is mind blowing. I gotta check this out. One thing led to another, Um, Gaurav and I got really friendly. Um, I left Wholesome, I stayed in touch with Gaurav. then I met, uh, then, I, then I moved on to this construction company called Suffolk and, and shout out to the owner, John Fish. He's a really incredible human being. Um, I mentioned this thing and, and he's a really, he's interested in all hundred and different thousand things at, at once, but he said, look, yeah, I really want you to stay involved with this. So he uh, actually gave an annual uh, donation to one of the consortiums at uh, UCLA. I stayed involved with these guys and, uh, this thing turned into its own product. So they've actually ended up making block out of CO2. And uh, yeah. So the entire block is literally CO2 molecules. Well, no, 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 no. So, so basically it's, it's still a block made with some cementitious elements, but this block also has the ability to absorb CO2 and it does. And and a pretty big fraction of its mass is made up of the CO2 and its volume as well, made up of the CO2 that's been mineralized. It's it's called carbon built, C-A-R-B-O-N-B-U-I-L-T. Really fascinating product. In fact, these guys won the Carbon X prize last year. So there was like a seven and a half million dollar prize that they won from the X prize foundation. It's crazy technology. It's, It's really, really impressive. Anyway. Um, um, it's not a digression. It's all part of the same thing. I just want to, hey, listen, hold on. You just geeked out, went off on a whole cool tangent, but I love yeah. it. I love it. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so Gaurav and I got talking about um, artificial intelligence and concrete, you know, and, and one thing led to another, we, we you got access to some, some uh, different mixed designs. I started working with this, um, this technology. And over time, this has eventually evolved. And, and obviously, I've, I've stayed in, involved with this uh, initiative and basically decided that it was time to start trying to commercialize this last year. So, so the business was incorporated uh, in January. Uh, I left my, my previous employer in September and joined here. And, and the underlying premise of the business is, is given that you have all these different raw materials that make up concrete and we know they change from place to place and we know that these concrete designs all have very different parameters right so so one is going to want 4000 psi at three days another one wants 4000 psi at 28 days it needs to have a four inch thump when it gets delivered to the job site it's got to be able to be pumped so so you've got all these 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 physical characteristics that you're looking to generate within the concrete but you're using these different raw materials and ingredients and using them in combination to give them an outcome. So how can we use artificial intelligence to help us make sure that we've absolutely optimized that mix? So long story short, these guys 
worked with many, many data sets. Uh, you know, we've, we've, we've got probably north of 650,000 separate designs that they've used and started modeling. And they've, they've used an element of machine learning known as a neural network to actually start looking at these ingredients and start figuring out how to put them together and give you the optimum output. Um, and, and what's really good about this is that the, the output can change, right? So, so you can say, give me concrete that is either absolutely the lowest cost given these sets of ingredients and these design constraints. So I want 4,000 PSI, 28 days with a four inch slump and this much air entrained. Have at it, these are the raw materials I gotta work with. We then take those raw materials, assess all their properties, all their physical properties, as well as their chemical properties and, and their you know, previous uh, results that we have, um, especially on the, the cement side of things. And then we can look at these things in combination and say, right, if you use these combinations of ingredients, this is gonna give you that optimum cost for that mix. Uh, we've had some really good results. I mean, on in in really tough conditions, really tough trials with uh, one of our current clients. Um, yeah, we we've been able to reduce costs by you know five five percent in some cases, and that's a pretty big deal. I mean, the the, the ready mix business is uh, it's a tough business. You you're the first guys up on the job site. You're the last guys to leave, uh, and you know historically you know, a 10% EBITDA margin is a lot for that business. F figure cost of capital is already going to be between five, 6%. You know, now your EBIT's down to, you know, three and a half, five percent if you're lucky. And then you've got to give some of that to Uncle Sam. So, it, you know, any break this business can get is, is, a, is a big one, you know, and especially when you're talking, you know, two, three, four, five percent that's a lot of money in people's bottom line. Well, I, I think that ultimately th that's what's fun about it is now you have found, found the way to optimize all the materials for cost, but also mm -hmm. at the same time, optimizing the design for structure, right? So, so, you, so taking that, uh, you know, the days of us being prehistoric about this are gone. You, you can really see how your material sciences are impacting those industries, right? And, and, and like you said, it's the largest product used on the earth other than water, right? I mean, there's, there's, and just making those small changes that, you know, we look at each way, each design that we do this and, and impacting it that way, you can see how that's going to impact the world. You know, that the long-term effect of that's a dramatic impact. Yeah. And, and we have a terrible history in this country of over-designing structures. Like don't, 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 I'm not talking about bridge collapse and stuff like that, but Typically, if you have a look at what the, unfortunately the engineering community has done, I mean, we still have states in the US where they prescribe the number of sacks of cementitious material that goes in. And it's like, oh, well, hang on a sec. How does that, you know, how does that equate to an outcome? Right. You know, right, right. If, we're, if we're really thinking about being efficient, we, be, we should always be thinking about performance. So right. giving a concrete that gets to whatever strength in whatever time and is this workable when I need it, and then either do it as, you know, as cost effectively as possible or do it in a way that reduces the most amount of CO2 that you can. And, and that's the other cool thing about the algorithm is that we've, we've, we've basically got three uh, pretty significant pivot points within it that allow us to either focus on the cost, focus on the carbon or a combination of those. And then there's another thing we do with, um, we, we, we also pretty serious about waste reduction. Look, this, this, this business is being spun off out of uh, UCLA, but we're, we're under a, um, we, we're also part of a, an entity known as the Institute of Carbon Management, as is carbon bulk, full disclosure. Um, but what's really important for us ultimately is that we also want to understand what our impact on the planet's going to be long-term and we want to do the best that we can in terms of optimization. Um, it, it also means that this business evolves beyond concrete. That's obviously the longer-term game plan. But a big thing no one talks about is waste. And, uh, you know, in having having been in the mining industry, you know, the, the one thing is in, in the US, we mine two and a half million tons of aggregate a year. Billion, two and a half billion tons. Billion, of billion right. About 60%, so one and a half billion tons comes from hard rock quarries and the rest comes from sand and gravel deposits. Okay, okay, and, okay. so, so hold on, there's, 
Hard Rock Quarry. So we're out there digging. So I, I think we've got one of those here in Chicago, right by, I fly it over by, by Midway all the time, down, oh. south, down south. And there's another one just south. Uh, if on, uh, I think it's on 94, the yeah. one, you know, Thornton yeah. Park, the one that splits the, yeah. the, the Yeah, I fly all the time. That's a lamps, that's a hard rock quarry. That is, yeah, that's, that is a quarry. The rest are, are sand and gravel pits. So that's the distinction between a, a quarry and a pit. In a quarry like that, the way they, they get the rock out is they typically have to drill and then blast. Um, interestingly enough, not far from where you are right now, there's a lot of underground mining as well for aggregate. So there's a whole lot of underground limestone mines as well in Chicago. I think those are all the secret tunnels. They are the secret tunnels. That's, secret tunnels. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're calling it underground oh. mining we're calling them secret tunnels all right uh you know let's get this conspiracy folks uh all revved up today anyway so, so just quickly one interesting thing about those products is that you have roughly depending on the deposit between four and eleven percent of that that stuff that is mined is waste so oh, in other words so what it's, well because they, they don't have a use for it they can't find a use for it either within concrete or in base material or there's excess sand that I, you know, there's just no way to, you know, no, they ended up putting it on a stockpile. And uh, the problem with that is it's still part of your cost of production. Uh, the way the accounting works is if, if you mining a, a, a deposit, there's you're either paying a royalty on it or you're paying what they call depletion. So depletion is kind of like depreciation, but it's for minerals. And this just adds on to your cost. So, the problem you end up having is if this stuff's sitting in a stockpile and it's not moving, you can't value it. So that cost gets spread over everything else. If you can find a way to move it in your concrete product, that allows you to start reducing waste and producing less. And so you start moving some of these byproducts into the concrete and still having the same performance characteristics that you require. So that's the that's kind of the third pivot that we go into, is making sure we can help these producers with their slow moving inventories and hopefully liberate a bit of cash for them at the same time. Well, I mean, and that's the science, right? That's the science behind the 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 the, the material. That's the science behind the business. And I think that's where Concrete AI has taken, you know, and really upped the level of of tech, you know, taking technology and applying that to the business. And you know, that's why you're getting that five percent. That's why you're seeing those type of of, of savings. You know. Um, Alex, when I, I'm just, I'm just a, you know, a general contractor over here building. When I'm out there looking for, uh, to make a difference, you know, if, if I want to be a greener builder and, and the clients that we work for are constantly asking us to, to be greener builders, what, what, what are the things that uh, I should be looking for? What, what are the things I, I should be talking about? What are the things I should be asking for when I'm, when I'm uh, working with, with mixed plants? Well, I mean, like there, there's some, like Chicago's a great example. You've got, you got companies like Azinga, you've got companies like Prairie. These guys already can help clients, you know, produce a low carbon concrete. They, they can absolutely do this already. Um, you know, we, we think we can take it to another level just given the size of the data and that we're, we're kind of source agnostic. So I don't work for a cement company, I work for an aggregate company, we're independent. And, and so, you know, we have a, a data set that encompasses every opportunity that we can bring into it so where where i see a lot of things happening is that the, the narrative's actually being flipped a little bit even on the contractors we we've got um we've got a client that builds data centers uh, and this person has said to us all right just uh for whatever the cost of the concrete is um tell me how i get to the lowest embodied co2 on my projects and i mean these are you know, 180, 200,000 yard campuses. These are not small buildings and they're not, there's more than one of them, right? But people are putting their money where their mouth is and saying, look, this is important to me. This is a, a generational uh, vision that I have and I want to make a difference. So, so these guys are, are, are the people out there that are doing it. And, you know, again, shout out to people like Chris Crosby from Compass Data Centers. These, these guys are really serious about it. And they're not just, you know, again, people, think about this carbon environment as just like a one-off you know you know honestly when you when you when you look at it in a thing like a data center the initial impact that that we can have from a co2 reduction on the, on the concrete side of things is pretty significant but at the end of the day it's it's the energy costs and the cost to maintain and run it so when these when these guys do the evaluation i mean they've done a legitimate three cycle, a three uh, life cycle, three phase life cycle analysis of their building. And I've thought about this literally soup to nuts, what goes into the ground to what it's going to take to maintain and run this thing. And, and uh, you know, smart people are doing it. So they, they're figuring out and then 
at the same time, they're seeing that it creates more value for them because there's even more opportunity to start participating in this carbon economy. Well, it, it's by far an easy one to go after uh, with just a little bit of thought. You know, uh, I sat down with the folks from McDonald's and they were working on a, on a zero uh, impact uh, building down in uh, Disney World. And they built this great you know, building. And, you know, the number one thing I got from them was we didn't have to create, they didn't have to create anything new. They just went to all, they just thought about what they did before they did it and f- pulled from existing processes and, and the technique by which they did things was just another step, you know, question of asking and, you know, being intentional about it. And it wasn't requiring to go out and create a whole new science or a whole new, th- no, look, they took a McDonald's and they've got no impact by, you know, it, it generates its own energy. It actually, uh, you know, it's, it's got a neat impact on, uh, on the total environment and, you know, the, the number one thing I got from them was we just thought about it a little bit more than, than we, you know, than we had on other projects. And now we kind of look at it and go, all right, look, how do we apply that to, you know, the thousands and thousands of builds they have around the country every day? And, you know, I can start to see that here with, with us as well as we start to look at every company we work for has that request of us. How can we, how can we be more environmentally sound or more, more environmentally, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, long-term effects of the products that we're building and the processes that we're following in our business. So uh, not just to be gluttonous about it. And, um, you know, I, I feel like our society, when I was in Africa, they're just trying to get to building, right? They're just getting, just building. Then, you know, you get to uh, other communities where, you know, our community's got a lot of, uh, you know, we, we've, we've grown really, really well. Our, our economy has enough uh, a momentum going on now. Now we can start to having the bigger thoughts about, all right, the work that we're doing, how can we be smarter about doing it? Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, the, the, the one really important thing is that people need to recognize that people will eventually figure out how to solve these problems and, and, and the climate being one of them. I think, you know, you know the, one of the challenges everyone wants to go from zero to 100 right but but the actual answer is what can we do right now today and 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 really that's our philosophy what we want to do is know what our immediate impact can be so so our we believe our firmly believe that our immediate uh, opportunity can be look we can help reduce the amount of cement that you want to have and and in some cases not only will that be will absolutely be beneficial to the planet, but there's, a, there's even an opportunity to save money at the same time. This, this can happen. These are mutually exclusive things. Obviously, this is going to evolve. I mean, we're already, we're already seeing this with Carbon Built, uh, the company I mentioned earlier. I mean, our next opportunity is helping them optimize their mix design so that the amount of CO2 they're actually able to mineralize increases. You know, that's where we want to go. Same thing, you know, and same thing. We want to move this technology into other industries, glass, ceramics. There's more opportunity. And, and eventually over time, we will see things like, you know, definitely more non-hydrotic cement and, you know, things, products like that that end up consuming CO2. Right. It's not there right now today, but it's going to happen. It's, you know, it's, it's like. But I think that that's the thing that's going to be fun. You don't know where you're going to end up. Right. What's fun about what's going on right now in our society, in our, in our, in our development, is that we've got all these new ways of looking, you know, just before we were just doing, just do, right. do, 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 right. And we didn't, we weren't concerned about the impact. Now we start to notice, all right, we got some impact. Uh, even though cement is a very, uh, it's a great product to use, it's inexpensive, but there's an impact to our environment. Now let's go address the impact to our environment. And now that you're asking the questions, now you're applying artificial intelligence to that thought process and, and being able to do this in a much bigger sense than ever before, taking thousands and thousands of po- points of data from around the country, around the world, and wow. applying it to every decision logic. I, you know, what, I, what my bet is that what's going to come out the backside of this, you can't predict today. That, wow. uh, uh, the, the, you know, what's what's going to happen, you know, the, this AI will continue to get smarter and this machine learning will continue to get smarter and what's going to happen is really, really start to affect whole design and then which really, what will be fun about this our designs can really change from there also right well now be yeah. so all kinds of cool new designs that uh, we couldn't have imagined with the with the specifications we had before i think one really interesting thing about all of this and and and, and this is not a plug to get people unscared but what what what, what we actually end up finding is that all this technology does is does things that humans can do, it just does a lot quicker. So a human could get to this point in terms of optimization, but it's 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 just bar out and keeping on doing the same thing until you end up optimizing. What it actually allows humans to do is apply judgment, which AI can't do. 
And, and so it really does actually, it's a, it's a really cool interface because it becomes additive. It's funny because at the same time, you know, to your point, the thing that really excites me and where we also want to try and take our technology to is, is this convergence of, you know, it, for me, one of the most exciting fields in, in artificial intelligence is robotics by, mm. by a long way. And if you see the stuff that's going on with 3D printing, I'm, I'm sure you see it anyway. But, but just consider that every single structure that you see that's made of concrete is probably at least 40% mass inefficient. By that, I mean that if, if you just took true engineering design and had the optimal shape, you probably would lose 40% of the mass of the concrete because 40% of the concrete that actually doesn't do any work from a support perspective. A, a column is a great example. So think, think of when you, you, you put pressure on a column, you know, what are the sides doing? Not a whole lot. M most of the forces are getting, you know, whatever, rebar, whatever gets carried, but most of it's structurally inefficient. Same thing, same thing with a beam, right? Think about if you use 3D printing technology and you actually printed the strength into the underside of the beam, right? So, we, so, so you actually right. you make the bottom stronger and the top doesn't have to be as strong. It can even be a little bit lighter. So you can use this convergence of this technology with artificial intelligence and, and, and the, having the right mix of materials. And I mean, construction is going to be super exciting. Huh? I can't wait to see. You know, we've had we've had a bunch of uh, uh, 3D printer home, uh, uh, you know, 3D printers that are doing homes. We've met with a lot of groups, and as that material science gets so smarter, the speed by which you know we 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 uh, we had a, uh, folks on the show that are printing homes in 40 hours. Yeah, I mean, I mean every I mean, every 40 hours they're printing them, and to your point, the shape that they're building it is more energy efficient, right? It's a lot less material. It's a lot lighter, it's smarter. It's it's self healing. The mixture yep. they're using has a has a, a a way of fixing its own cracks with some sort of bacteria or some sort of uh, uh, material that they're adding into it. And I really do believe that that's the fun stuff that's happening. These material sciences, uh, you know, your partners that are working on all that stuff right now is, is coming into play with, you know, and pulling from all this data set uh, that was a lot bigger than before. And and you know, I I think these buildings that we're looking at, I'm like that's. A that, that's literally a printed building and uh, uh you know you can make it mobile and and how many floors it can go it's, it's kind of cool absolutely that's awesome well i gotta tell you alex i am i here i know more about cement than i ever did and now concrete is uh, than i ever did i'm grateful for all of the knowledge that we've had together and you know as as you guys at concrete ai uh are, are really changing the planet uh, and continue to evolve. I want to have you and your friends uh, on the show some more and, you know, continue to show me some of the breakthrough stuff. Hey, what I'm looking for, as you guys keep having breakthroughs in the things that you're inventing or the formulas that you're creating and in the, you know, the, the ways that you're impacting this, this world, come back and tell us about it. Our, our, our audience is thirsty for that kind of knowledge. Well, uh, we, we definitely going to be in your part of the world soon. So uh, one of our clients is uh, one of the companies we're working with is, is Prairie Materials. They're oh, yeah. based in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, yeah, some really interesting opportunities. Some, some, of, the, some, of, some of the stuff they're going to be able to achieve um, is, is unbelievable. You know, any, you know, pretty progressive company anyway in terms of their thinking and where they're going to. But uh, interesting times ahead. I mean, we'll, we'll get you out and give you a demo. It'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. I, I, I don't dare me with a good time. I will not be, do not be, I will not be taken by a good time. <laughs> I, I'm not, and, I, and I'll buy you a beer if you can uh, beat the AI. We'll, we'll see how no, good you no, can no, 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 I'm, I'm not going up against AI, but I would love to see, I'd love to spend some time with you as, as you're in Chicago. Please stop by and uh, please let us come meet you wherever you're at. We'd, we'd love to come see you or, or do an on-site uh, uh, live uh, broadcast from there. Alex, you and the group, <clears> group over at AI, uh, Concrete AI, if they want, if people want to get a hold of you, how are they going to get a hold? How do I get them to get a hold of you? Just uh, we got a contact link on our website, uh, www.concrete-ai.com, uh, or yeah, email me directly, Alex at Concrete AI. More than happy to chat and share information. We got a couple of uh, instructional videos just to give people an understanding of uh, how we go about things and and a little bit of a look as to what the interface is. At the end of the day. The important thing with our product as well is, is it's a pure software as a service play. You're not buying anything new. You're not adding anything new onto a plant or, you know, even, even structural engineers have been using it and, and seeing what they can do and play around with it and see what the potential opportunities are. So, 
yeah, always, always happy to talk about it. And anyone that'd like a demonstration, would love to give it to them as well. Well, Alex, uh, I loved it. Audience, if you guys loved hearing us have this conversation, please do me a favor and take a second right now and hit the like button. If you really liked it, please hit the bell and uh, subscribe to the show. That's the way we know we get feedback. Uh, you know, that this is how our guests uh, know, uh, you know, that uh, they were heard. And uh, we're grateful for that. Alex, uh, I look forward to having you on again. Thank you, Anthony. Take care. All the best, there. Thanks for joining us. My name is Anthony Montegi. Always looking for people to bring insight into the industry, finding ways to inspire people to have amazing careers in the development world. If you liked our podcast, make sure you hit the subscribe button down below. If you really liked our podcast, make sure you hit the little bell. Thanks again for listening. Please share with your friends.